the Gloria Purvis podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me, and I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Christopher Smith. He is a native of Western North Carolina and was raised Quaker, but converted to Catholicism after becoming captivated by the beauty of his local Catholic Church. He entered the Jesuit novitiate in 2015 and currently teaches biology and chemistry as a first-year regent at Gonzaga College Catholic High School in Washington, D.C. I wanted to talk to Chris because he wrote two articles about family, love, racism, forgiveness, and Catholicism. And one of those articles appeared in America Magazine, and it was very popular. And it was titled, My White Mom's Marriage to a Black Man Outraged My Grandma, But She Learned to Love Us. And reading about this transformation, this love from what started out as a very strong racist (laughs) tendency, well, outright racism, but you start to see how this love converted. And I also read another article he wrote in another Jesuit magazine, the Jesuit Post, where it talks about his paternal family and their longing for Catholicism, really, or if Catholicism had welcomed them and loved them as it should have, what that could have done. I loved how he tied these stories together, at least for me in reading both. I felt like there was a tie of the story that when we start to see people as family, it mends the bonds of the human family that racism has broken. And I was not expecting enculturation to come up in this conversation. It just sort of came up organically. And we had just on a previous episode talked about enculturation with Father Manuel Williams. And yet again, it came up. Enculturation in the simplest terms means presenting the gospel in a way that's culturally appropriate for a particular people. You speak in ways that they understand through their culture. So for example... Perhaps if you're in an African-American milieu and you're preaching the gospel, there might be a way that you preach to that African-American community. Some words are emphasized and the, the melody of the way in which you speak will be familiar to the people in the pews. So there'll be ways that the gospel is made relatable for the people without emptying it of not, not one iota, not one scintilla of the truth but it presents it to the people in a way in which is familiar and that they can receive it. So we cover a lot on this episode from enculturation to the story of Chris's family being transformed by love to the story of Chris's conversion into the Catholic Church. So there's a lot in this episode. America Media has a very special offer for you this Lent. Our team has written daily Lenten reflections to help our digital subscribers on their journey toward Easter. The authors include Father Matt Malone, Father James Martin, the host of Jesuitical, me, and many more. To get access to these reflections, visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe and become a subscriber today. Stick around. My conversation with Christopher Smith is up next.
Oh, Chris, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're able to join me to talk. And also with you being a Southerner, you know, we're kindred spirits here. Yes, yes, we are. I'm trying not to say yes, ma'am, Gloria, because you corrected me <laughs> earlier. So I'm going to say yes, Gloria, we Thank are. You. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And see, when you if you say yes, ma'am, I feel a million years old. And I get it with my little 10-year-olds and stuff. But when a, a grown man calls me yes, ma'am, I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> excuse, excuse me. Pardon excuse me. me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> Far be it from me, Gloria. You are oh, a young lady. Far be oh, it from me. So sweet of you to say that. That's very nice. But, you know, it's interesting. Like, I've known you through social media and stuff like that. But then I read two articles that you have written, one being published in America that was about your white mother's marriage to a Black man outraging your basically maternal family. And then this other article you wrote in Jesuit Post that was about your paternal family and the relationship with the Catholic Church. And I just thought, oh my gosh, both articles were so beautiful and inspiring and hopeful. And it also, I think, could be something hopeful for us as members of the Catholic Church to maybe consider in our grappling with how the church deals with African-Americans in the United States and the history of that, and that this gives us hope. But one of the things in the article, one of the articles which blew my mind, is that you are the only African-American in Jesuit formation in the world. Yes, no ma'am, pressure. it's me. No pressure. No, no, no pressure, Gloria, you know, <laughs> no big deal. No, they don't. No, we have, thanks be to God, we're doing pretty good in terms of Jesuit vocations these days. Yeah. We have lots of men entering, thanks be to God. Not as many as we did, you know, way back when, as people sure. are wont to point out, but we have a lot. But in terms in the United States, unfortunately, we are very, very homogenous. Mm. We have a few persons who are Black, who are in formation, but they are Haitian or Jamaican or African and mm-hmm. slated for those provinces. In terms of formation, in terms of Black Americans, so you know when I say that, I mean, of course, you know, descendants of slaves. Right. There's me. Wow. Wow. So as we talk about formation, what is Jesuit formation? Like what is involved in Jesuit formation? That is a wonderful question, Gloria. I feel like when I first applied to the society, uh-huh. I feel like I spent my first years just trying to figure out what I needed to do. <laughs> There's so so many steps and words and vocabulary and stuff. I don't even know. But now, you know, it's like when you say something so many times, you get your little elevator speech version. So I have my little elevator speech version of what we do. So our formation is usually five steps. And it depends on whether you are on the the path to become a Jesuit priest or whether you're on the path to become a Jesuit brother. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm on the path to become a priest, God willing. So you think about it, in religious life, we are giving our entire selves to Jesus Christ and giving our entire selves to Jesus Christ for his service to his people who are him also in the church, to love them with our whole selves, our whole mind, our whole soul, our whole being, and to love him. And how are you going to love them? How are you going to serve them? So many problems we have in this church today because people come in half-handed, one foot in, one foot out. People come in half-wheeled, one going one way, going the other way. No, you Mm -hmm. must be totally for Jesus. And how can you be totally for Jesus if you don't know him? You got to spend that time again, that knee mail, like they said back in the day, you know, got to get down and get to know him. Yeah. There's something you said about that. Know that your people are him. And that draws me into thinking about how 
Social conditioning could even warp our perception of that and how we know about racism, which conditioned people socially to see Black people as less than and maybe not even human. And Mm -hmm. so one of the things in one of the articles you wrote was you gave some examples of what happened with your great-grandmother who would have been Catholic. Can you just tell a little bit about that? Sure, I would love to. So my family, as you know, is multiracial. My father is black, my mother is white. Mm -hmm. And my father comes from a family of staunch Baptists, you know, hard shell Baptists. Have you heard of that before? (laughs) No, but my grandmother's a Baptist, but I Okay, but I know she hard shell, but that's the kind of Baptist that my 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 dad's kind of family. (laughs) They're very Baptist. My father's mother and his grandmother, his grandfather, they were very involved in the church. My father grew up with his grandparents in their home. Uh My great-grandmother, she was the daughter of a woman who was the daughter of a slave. Now, Uh so she was the granddaughter of a slave. Her grandmother was a slave. And her mother died when she was two years old of cirrhosis of the liver. So she was raised by her grandmother, who had been a slave, who was a very hard woman. Now, my Uh great-grandmother never knew how to read, was never taught how to read was never taught in school anything, but she was a farm worker for most of her life, sharecropper Mm. and farm worker. And my dad would always say she would go out at night and she could look at the constellations and she would know when it was time to plant things. So she would say the moon is in the foot or the moon Mm -hmm. is in the knee or something. I don't know what any of that means, but that's (laughs) that old country stuff. You know, they they knew how to to plant. Yeah. But my grandparents, because of racism, that my great-grandparents, pardon, because of racism where they were, and they were in South Carolina, your land, They moved north to North Carolina, and they moved to Asheville, which is where I'm from. Mm -hmm. Now, in Asheville at that time, although Catholics made up a very tiny percentage of the population, there were a zillion Catholic works. And you know why? No, why? Because of nuns. Ah! Because back then we had nuns, uh, every kind of nun. There was nuns galore. So (laughs) we had nuns running schools. We had nuns running (laughs) hospitals, nuns running old people places, every kind of thing. Because it was just nuns, more nuns than we knew than we could shake our fists at. (laughs) Nuns are the heart of the church. Thanks be to God for nuns. So among these many nuns, Miss Purvis, there Uh were nuns who founded the Catholic Hospital of Asheville. Mm-hmm. And my great-grandmother worked for decades scrubbing their floors as a maid. Now, they treated her well. She always felt that they treated her well. Mm-hmm. They treated her with dignity and with respect, which shouldn't be surprising. But right. from that era, it is surprising. Yes. However, nobody ever talked to her about Catholicism. Mm. The way that I come to understand it, it was kind of like, this is our thing. You know, that you do Mm -hmm. your thing. It was like, it wasn't even a thought to bring people in. And that, in fact, Gloria, if I might be so frank, is to say, is a mentality that I currently see that continues in the church. There's a kind of lack of outreach, like, this is our thing, my truth, my whatever. Let me not talk about it. Let me not share it. So it was the same kind of spirit with my great-grandmother. So my great-grandmother scrubbed their floors and everything, but they never talked to her about Catholicism, never invited her to Mass or anything, or even thought about it. But I say that she would have become Catholic because of this. Her daughter, who would have been my great-aunt, she had rheumatoid fever, which was a Mm -hmm. disease that that comes from whenever you have strep throat that doesn't get Mm -hmm. treated. And it wasn't like even like a racial thing. It was just a thing back in that day. People died of all sorts of childhood illnesses all the time. Yeah. And so she died of this disease. And the nuns felt so bad for my great-grandmother that they gave her this beautiful crucifix 
And my great grandmother treasured that crucifix. That crucifix was put on her coffin when she died. That crucifix wow. was passed down through the family to everybody, eventually to me. Oh, and so that. that talisman, you know, she held on to that and she valued yeah. that. That meant so much to her. So, yeah. You could see the draw there. The draw there. And the draw also because this is the thing. I honestly believe, Gloria, that if the Catholic Church would have done anything, and I do mean anything Anything. for Black people whenever slavery ended, every Black person in America would be Catholic. I'm not even trying to play. I'm not even trying to joke with nobody. I'm not trying to be extra or whatever. Because our people people like music done well. Our people like, I don't want to say the theatricality, but I want to say the artistic aspect of faith. Worshiping yeah. in an orderly, reverent way, the costumage, yes. all the stuff, you know, we would yeah. go for it. But nobody cracked open a door for anybody. People, in fact, actively locked doors. Yes, that's a very actively locked. That's exactly right. One of the things I say that the doors of the church were no shield to racism. Sometimes the way they were shut, you could see that was the racism. Exactly. In fact, Gloria, in my own family, Going down that same line from my father's line, Mm -hmm. that actively occurred. You know, my father's mother, she wanted to become Catholic, but she had a bad marriage. And so it was Mm -hmm. not really going to be a thing that was going to be. But my father was Catholic. Uh And my father, when desegregation happened, he came to what would become my church. And they actively locked the doors to keep the people from the black church from coming in. Okay, they actively prevented black people from entering the church. Mm -hmm. Isn't that, oh, Jesus wept. So it's interesting that they preferred to worship their God, as they would see it, absent any persons that would challenge them to what they say and believe about their God. I mean, just that person's existence and presence being next to them. Think about it. Because how could you live outside the church in the ways and things that they were doing and still profess to believe in God, then have that person sort of like as a silent witness against you, almost sitting there right there in church, worshiping the God with you. It's a peculiar thing, actually, when you start to look at the history of how things were. And frankly, even some attitudes now, I hate to say it, but even some attitudes now are people kind of don't want us to come to the church unless we are thoroughly, excuse the term, listeners, whitewashed. Exactly. Don't bring anything that they could perceive as something to be typical of like of African American spirituality. And I'm like, well, wait a minute now. <laughs> oh no, but, David don't, don't wait one minute. <laughs> wait, wait, wait several moments kindly because tell me where did vestments come from? Vestments came from what Roman people wore, you know, at the time that Christianity became legal. Where mm-hmm. did the way that we incense the altar come from? That came from the cultural references at the time that Christianity was codified, the way that we bow, the way that we genuflect, mm-hmm. the way that we sing. Those are all mm-hmm. European cultural norms that praise God that the church adopted because the church can adopt anything because we know from the incarnation, God became man. God yeah. came into matter. So everything can be used for God's glory. Nothing has to be excluded from God's temple. But all of a sudden, wait, so we can wear costumes that are European. We can do customs that are European. But now you're telling me that I can't bring in something that is Black because that's somehow pagan or or something. God forbid, we we can't have gospel music, even though gospel music is a genre of music that has always been sacred. 
unlike opera music, unlike right. classical music, which were profane genres mm-hmm. of music, gospel mm-hmm. has always been dedicated to God's greater glory. But you're going to tell me we can't do gospel. We can't do, right. God forbid, a, a song has a beat. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. There's something's wrong with that. I was like, y'all remember David did dance. Hello. <laughs> he did dance and sing and all that. And he was doing praise, you know? Yes. And I, I was just having an online, uh, I don't even know if I call it discussion, where people were (laughs) having this issue about enculturation and the mass and, you know, how the vestments. And I was like, well, hold up now. You do understand that the mass you celebrate is itself an enculturated mass. Hello. Right. And so this idea, it was just peculiar, the things that people were saying. And it was all really in response to a picture I shared of some vestments that Father Clarence Rivers, I think Rivers, name, uh-huh. had commissioned. And they were red, black, and green. And the dove on it was black, which fits so artistically and beautifully. And people were like, oh, that's not scriptural. Why is a dove not white? And I was like, because the scripture does not say a white dove. Okay. And when I quoted, was it Matthew 3, 16, I think, where it says where the spirit came down like a dove on Jesus. Yes. Right. And I was like, so this isn't unscriptural. To have this, and I was explaining the significance of red, black, and green are significant colors in African-American community and all these kinds of things. And then someone said that enculturation separates you, I mean, I cannot make this stuff up, from the tradition of the church. And therefore, enculturation is a separation from the appropriate things in the church. And I just had to walk away from the keyboard at that point. Because I was just like, I don't, I mean, if they don't understand that, you know, the way in which the gospel was presented or taught, you know, has to make sense within the culture. Exactly. And just like people are want to remind us, you know, we hear so much today about the sad trouble in Ukraine and everything that's going on. But there's there's Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. There's a Russian Greek Catholic Church. There's a Syro-Malabar Church. There's all these different rites of the church that are ancient rights in different ways to worship. Again, Jesus died for everybody. Jesus also redeemed everything by his death. So yeah, again, that's just, that's racism. That's occult racism. Occult meaning, you know, just hidden racism. Because there's nothing, there's nothing sacrilegious about moving when you worship. There's nothing sacrilegious about green, red, and black vestments. I've seen green, red, and black vestments in all kinds and sorts, you know? Right. One thing that I wanted that I do want to gas up Catholicism for because I find myself, I don't know about you, but I find myself I love Twitter and I love to put out kind of the barbs and stuff. I love to, to you know do a little zing and every kind of thing. <laughs> Never intentionally hurt anyone's feelings or anything, but you know, right. just because I like to just kind of use it to challenge faith and I love interacting mm. with people in that way. But mm. it's very easy for me with my Twitter if I Facebookified culture to begin on these negative things where I'm just like, oh, you know, there's nobody appreciates stuff, nobody, those trads, those liberals, oh those this, yeah, those yeah. that. And there's a lot of yeah, people yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Don't get me wrong. It's a lot of crazy. I'm not trying to diminish in any way the crazy. Lord have mercy. God, please save yeah. your church because it's full of crazy. But yeah. I also, though, I also don't want to end doing that. I want to gas up an aspect of the church, Gloria, which I love. Yeah. I love what, you, what you're saying here. I love your positive message, period. I mean, I love reading and hearing what you say, period, because you're just such a gift to the church. You You are. But one thing that, so Gloria, I wouldn't be in the church if when I was young, the church didn't say to me, really almost literally, we love you and Mm. we want you here. 
Because, mm-hmm. Gloria, there's no way in hell, pardon my French, that's not really French, it's the place, don't go there. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right. We I, When I was a child, I walked into a Catholic church. I was on a tour with my school, and it was the most beautiful place I'd ever seen. So I started going back by myself and sitting in it because my church was open all the time. And I would just sit there because I was just dumbstruck by the beauty. I love the smell, the old, you know, that oh, old yes. incense candle yes, smell. Yes, I know. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. So I said, I said to myself, self, let's go. I'm going to go to mass and see what it's like with my all of 11 year old self, which I know you understand because <laughs> you were about the same age yeah, too. Yeah, I was when I converted. Yeah, about 12. I was 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they we're the exact same. So, so, oh, so I uh, went And it was July. I was out from school. I was bored. It was past that time. You know, when you're young and you're looking forward to summer and you think, oh, I can't wait. But then after about three or four days, you're like, oh, I'm so bored. (laughs) It was in that stage. So I went to mass. Gloria, sitting through that mass, everybody was standing and sitting and kneeling and squatting and talking and doing this and that, (laughs) batting around. And it was bells and all sorts. I had no idea what was happening. Mm -hmm. I was the only person in that church under 70, had to be. After that mass, all those old people, and they were mostly white. There were a few mm-hmm. black people there, mostly white people, though. They went as fast as they could, which was not very fast. So they came as fast as they could back to me. And I'm telling you, the love of those people showered on mm-hmm. me. You know, they were just so sweet to me. They cared about me. They asked about me. They pinched my cheeks. They over here <laughs> hugged on me. You know, and they just welcomed me back, welcomed me back, and loved me, took an interest in me. And that is the church. The church is not. Unfortunately, and, and you know what? I shouldn't even say unfortunately. It does include the people who are anonymous trolls online, and it does include the people who yeah. are rude and who have weird opinions. And I say I shouldn't be ashamed of that because it includes me too. Okay. Thanks be to God, it can't close. It doesn't close the door on anybody. We're all in it. Right. But when I think about the church, I know that I'm welcomed, although there are people who have attitudes that are not helpful and there are people who are rude and there are people who are crazy. Oh, yeah. Again, mm-hmm. I know that I am welcomed. I know that I am loved because those people that love me are the church. Amen. We'll be right back. For both of us, I think it was really important for us to come in a place where we weren't opposed, I guess, and and more than not opposed, but pretty much welcomed. We were, I even don't know if the word is welcome is right. We were just part of the family, mm-hmm. if you will. We knew we were part of the family. We belonged. This was our place. And I think there's an interesting story with your family situation where they arrived there long time, but they do eventually arrive. Can you, maybe for our listeners who haven't read your article in America, maybe if you can give sort of some background on that? Sure, sure. So one beautiful thing, Gloria, about my life that God has really taught me throughout my life is just the goodness of people and the goodness of people, even when it doesn't, when you can't really see it. And I get that from my mom's side of the family, which I was very close to and which I continue to be very close to. Wonderful people. And let me begin just before I get into, you know, putting all our business out in the streets, which I already have. (laughs) Before I get into all that, let me just say that I have learned more about who God is, God as love and God is love from my mother's family than I have Mm -hmm. from anyone else on this Mm -hmm. earth. To set it up, my mother's family, every generation has a Baptist minister going all the way back to all the way back. Our family has been in North Carolina since 
the 1700s. Oh my goodness. Now, my mother's grandfather and her grandmother, they were not from North Carolina. They were from Virginia. They had a third grade education. They migrated to North Carolina. And my great, this my great grandmother, I call her great grandmother Swinney. She's our family saint. Mm. Her mother died when she was a child and Mm. she was a servant and she was an orphan. And she was with a servant family and they kind of, as she got older and she developed into a woman, the man of the house kept on kind of coming on to her and, and oh, whatever yeah. and, and leaving, you know, so he had chasing her around and stuff. And so yeah. she had to flee. And yeah. when she fled, she had nothing, but a little black family let her, she was a white lady, a little black uh-huh. family let her stay with them. And they uh-huh. loved her. They taught her about the Bible. They taught her about morality. They taught her how to keep herself clean. They taught her all the sorts of stuff that her mother couldn't teach her because she was an orphan. So then they gave her the money that they had, the little tiny bit of money that they had so she could run away. And so Mm -hmm. she ran away. She never forgot this Black family that had done all then taken her in and loved her. And she was a saint. So Mm -hmm. she met my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather felt the call to become a preacher. And he went and he was a preacher. They preached in this little mill town now it's called Burlington, North Carolina. Yeah, okay, was, Burlington you know, Gold Factory. Everybody knows Okay, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so you know you know my people. Yes. All right. They yeah, were yeah. textile mill people, textile mill mm-hmm. workers. And so he founded a church there that still stands to this day. Oh, cool. And this church was for these people, these hardworking people who love God, white people, rural white people, mm-hmm. but rural white people formed by the culture at that time, which was racist and overwhelmingly right. racist. Oh, Didn't yeah. even think about it as being racist. Just that's how they were formed yes. to be. So they had a daughter, my grandmother. My grandmother married my grandfather. My grandfather became a Baptist minister as well. Mm-hmm. So they had my mom. My mom hated being a minister's daughter. <laughs> of course, she loved her parents, but always having everyone's yeah. eyes on you and all the expectations yeah. of that. But they call it a PK now for preacher's kid. A PK. <laughs> yeah. So she kind of left the Baptist church as soon as she could. As soon as she was uh, college age, she left. So she meets my dad and they decide to get married. But my mother knows that's not going to fly because keep in mind, her mother, her father, they grew up in this small little rural North Carolina area where it was just backwater kind of stuff, you know, and they didn't just the racism is so thick. It's in everything. So my mother didn't tell my grandmother that she was getting married. So she knew it wasn't going to fly. So my mother, she got married to my father. They got married in a field by a Methodist. And then she wrote a letter to she wrote a letter to my grandmother to tell her that my brother had been born. Well, you can imagine my grandmother, she was so mad. She was so mad first off that my mom got married. Okay. Yeah. She didn't even know nothing about the man that she was getting married to. Right. And then she got married to it was a black dude she got married to and had a child and didn't tell her anything. <laughs> so she was rightly livid. I'm not gonna even hold um, that against my grandmother for being mad at that. Okay. Yeah, she could have um, been mad for all that, like got married, didn't tell me, got married to somebody I didn't know, and you got a baby now? Hello, and okay, black there's a lot. and black on and top. And it's black, and it's black on so, top. And so, you know. so, so you're doing everything. So you you're doing everything you're to the most. You're being extra. Yeah, she was being the extras, as yeah. one might say. Extra. Okay. <laughs> so, so she was really pissed off, and she she disowned my mom. She said, "Absolutely not." She said, "We're done with you. I can't believe you would do something like this." And it was mostly over the black line because, keep mm. in mind, my grandfather had just gotten the pastorship of this church. 
Okay. Mm. And in the Baptist church, it's the deacons that decide who gets to be the pastor and how long he, he gets to be the pastor. And the deacons were racist. And in fact, there mm-hmm. were Klan members that went to the church. So my grandfather could have lost his job their whole life. And they had just gotten the surety of him having this senior pastor job. They could have mm-hmm. lost everything. And my mom didn't even warn them about it beforehand. So they were right. pissed off. But right. who comes in? Her mama, my great grandmother comes in, the, the, the family was, saint. The one, the one that was, who, the one who loved was, the black family, the little exactly. black family helped her. Oh, gosh. And, and she, okay. said, she said, absolutely not. She was older. You would think she was older. She didn't have an education. You would think mm. she would be the one that would be, you know, leading the pitchfork thing. Right. But no, she said, absolutely not. There will be no disowning whatsoever. She said, we are a family and we will get through this. God made all people. Doesn't matter what they look like, God made them. She said this. This old lady said this. Wow. So my grandmother begrudgingly accepted my parents' marriage. Mm -hmm. But my grandmother came to visit and she saw my brother. And my mom says that she rolled up into that place and you could feel the anger. But Mm -hmm. as soon as she saw that little smile, that little face, it went away. The woman that I knew didn't have any kind of bone or any of that in her body. She would Mm -hmm. tape, because I was a little nerd. (laughs) <laughs> and we didn't get like TLC. And I loved, I wanted to be a doctor. The television I, channel, TLC, the learning channel. Yes. For people not know, you, he, we, weren't, we weren't saying he didn't, you didn't get any love because people might tend to love oh, yeah. You're talking <laughs> yes, about the learning exactly. channel. The, the learning TV. channel. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There would be these nasty TV shows where they would do operations and they would show you on TLC the operations. Yeah. My grandmother would record those for me because I love that stuff and she would watch <laughs> them with me. Okay. Oh. She was this kind of loving, loving, larger than life, loving woman. And she, mm-hmm. they were opposed to me becoming Catholic because they thought we worshiped statues and Mary. And to be yeah. honest, some of us might. I'm not. I'm still not <laughs> sure. In some corners, and some corners, I'm not sure. Okay. But but as an actual doctrine, no, we don't. No, as a doctrine, no. <laughs> no, we do not. Right. right Doctrinally, right. no, we do not. No, we do not. Right. Right. So right. <laughs> she, when she saw that I loved Jesus Christ, that I was saved, as they say, saved. You know, that I accepted Him as my Savior, that He was my everything. She was okay with it. She came to church with me. And it was because of her, because I read the Bible to her as she died. I was with her when she died. I spoke at her funeral. So I really felt the call to become a Jesuit. She totally changed because of love. People change. And that's the thing. We get so, so negative on people because it's so Mm -hmm. easy with the barriers we put up with with the barriers of electronics with the barriers Mm -hmm. of politics the barriers of everything we put so much space between us and other people and we make an idol out of other people we make them into something that they're not a static image of something that they're not what my family has taught me is that people are people people can change god is love with god nothing is impossible God can change any heart with love. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. And I think about your maternal side being overcome with love when they actually see the littlest of their descendants, this little baby. There's something so beautiful about that. And what can we, because as inspiration, you know, for our listeners, what can we learn? How does this tell us what we as Catholics, how we should respond to people who in the moment might be expressing hatred and ignorance and all of these other things that we know are not good. Mm -hmm. What does this tell us about how we as Catholics ought to respond? 
I was just about that you ask, Gloria. I, first off, I, I don't mean to come across as an expert of any sort, but <laughs> what I see are two kind of things that we can do, and it's this. The first thing is this. Go to church somewhere that makes you uncomfortable. Now, that sounds rough, and I'm not saying this is for every Catholic, because some of us right. are just barely holding on. And if you're All just right. barely holding on, <laughs> then keep on holding on where you don't feel guilty, don't feel bad, because right. I'm not speaking to you. Right, but I right. am saying that those of us who get in a rut, we get in our thing, we're fine, and we just get used to doing things, go somewhere different from you. Mm-hmm. If you're a liberal person and you can't stand traditional people on the internet, I'm telling you, if you want to grow in holiness, if you want to be a saint, go to a traditional parish. If you're a traditional mm-hmm. person and you can't stand the felt and the, you know, the clown mask <laughs> and this kind of what I, mean, I don't know if that actually exists, but people talk right. about all that kind of stuff. Right. And you just and you just turn your nose up at that or whatever, and you're in a rut, go to a liberal parish. And I'm saying go there with an open heart. Don't go there with looking down the nose. Go there honestly with an open heart because guess what you're going to find? Saints. You're going to find saints there. You're going to find friends there. You're going to find people Mm -hmm. there that you see in a whole new light. Because the first step towards opening anything, first off, the first step towards fixing the church is fixing you. Because the Mm. church is me and you. The church isn't out there. The church is me and you. It's fixing (laughs) our attitudes. So the Mm. first thing we need to do is go out there, put ourselves somewhere where we're uncomfortable. I go every Sunday to a Ukrainian Greek Catholic church. I am the only black person standing there looking like a raisin in the snow. Okay. Raisin in the rice. That's what we used to Hello. say. Hello. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Raisin in the rice. You got you. I go there and I go there and, and I come to love people. I go there. I surround myself with something that's a little bit uncomfortable and I come to love and to know people. I go to Latin mass. But when Latin mass was a thing, I would go all the time. It's not for me. I don't get it. Right, but I okay. go because I want to meet and to love people where they are. So that's the first yeah. thing. And the second thing is let people be new and let people change. God Almighty, I swear with the internet and with everything, we hold everything against people forever and don't let them change. Let people change. St. Francis de Sales said there is no guarantee that the man who yesterday was a sinner is not a saint today. You cannot judge him to be such without risking lying, which is a lie in and of itself. All right now. So let people be new. Give them a chance. God gives us a chance every second of every day. If he does that for us and we know how we are, we have to give mm-hmm. everybody a chance. Amen. And St. Francis de Sales, by the way, is my boo. So the fact that you quoted him. Oh, okay, me okay, too. It, my <laughs> introduction to the devout life just Boom. took me in. I was done. And so when you quoted that, I was like, all right, now this, I feel like he's he's reaching and telling us St. Francis de Sales, like, now, Gloria, if you had any doubt, Let me just have him say this now (laughs) so you understand. But there is something to that, right? And I I think about, do we see the presence of God when we go to these other churches that we may be unfamiliar with or Mm -hmm. uncomfortable with? Is it not the same Eucharist? Is it not the same Eucharistic table that we approach? And if God can be here among these people, who am I? Exactly. (laughs) Not to come and be here. If he can be there and be received and among and all that, who am I? And so, yeah, there's something there. And I think it's really hopeful in both stories of your family, I think are examples of just hope and conversion. And I found it very inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing those stories with all of us. It gives us much to think about and meditate on and to smile about too. Every bit of that makes me smile because I see God's handwriting 
through it all. Amen. Through it all. Thank you, Chris. And I hope I get an invitation when you take your next step in Jesuit formation, if y'all have any kind of ceremonies and stuff that people can witness. So I'm just going to invite myself, which is so unsettling, no matter. Please do. But I was going to invite myself. (laughs) Please do. You're always welcome, Gloria. And thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to see someone that I admire so much and talk to. Oh, you're very kind. I'm so glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. Oh, and could you leave us a review if you can? I would love to hear from you. And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Maggie Van Dorn, and it's engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.